On this jam-packed episode of This Week in Linux, we'll check out the big Ubuntu news for Ubuntu 18.04 and all of the flavors like Kubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, and more. Then we'll take a look at some of the application news for this week for GIMP, FFmpeg, MenuLibre, NeoFetch, and a lot more. Later in the show, we got some distro news from Triskel, Clonezilla, and shockingly, even Microsoft. And if that wasn't enough, we also got some open sourcing news from Netflix and a cool project involving Ubuntu on the Nintendo Switch. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about some cool changes that I've done with TuxDigital.com. First of all, there actually is a TuxDigital.com website now, instead of the redirector like it was. Anyway, I built a lot of cool stuff for the new website, which I go over in the blog post on the site, and I've linked that in the video description. But for this show, I'll just talk about the cool stuff I did for This Week in Linux. One, I've added some other platforms for streaming, like there's a new Twitch channel. And I'll be doing some more stuff on Twitch outside of the show in the future, but for now, it's going to be a multi-stream thing every every week. I've revamped the show notes and segment index structure to make it easier to manage. I've set up easy access to a time zone converter for the live stream info. This should make it easier for people to know when the show will go live. So you just click on the time zone converter, into your time zone, and that's it. New contribution methods have been added to the channel, so people who aren't fans of Patreon, for example, can use these alternatives instead. There's DonorBox, PayPal, and even affiliate links. Finally, This Week in Linux will now be releasing on Monday mornings instead of the previous Sunday releases. There are multiple reasons for this, but mostly it's a scheduling thing, so that I'll have more time to edit and so I'll have time to do Destination Linux. If you aren't aware, Destination Linux is a Linux discussion podcast that I'm one of the hosts of. Recently, we decided to go live with Destination Linux recordings, and we'll be doing this on Sundays in order to fit in both the Saturday live streams of this show and the Sunday live streams of Destination Linux. It made sense to schedule the release of the edited episode of This Week in Linux for Monday mornings. If you haven't checked out Destination Linux yet, be sure to do that, and also let me know what you think about these changes. Now, let's get to the show. Up first in the show this week is Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. This is probably the most expected news story, so up first in Ubuntu 18.04, it's a LTS, so it's a long-term support for up to five years. And there's there's a lot of things changed. It's just the first LTS with the GNOME desktop ex, uh, environment. It's replacing Unity. So this version has GNOME 3.28. And, but Unity is still available in the archive if you would like to use it. And also there's a modification for the, the way that the GNOME experience is, is built into this version of, of Ubuntu. They're using a more of a Unity style of GNOME, not necessarily like the, the, the vanilla version. But you can use the vanilla version if you would like. That is available as well. One of my favorite things about this version is the much improved support for printers. And I know that that doesn't seem like it would be that, you know, a big thing to talk about. But printers in computing, like not even just Linux. Like Linux, dealing with printers in Linux is annoying. I mean, dealing with printers just at all is one of the worst things. So it's really nice to make it where just installing a printer is so much easier now. Thank you. Anyway, if you're looking to upgrade from a previous version of Ubuntu, 17.10 already has the ability to upgrade. However, if you are using 16.04, the upgrade path will not be available until roughly about June or July of the for the first point release. You know, just so you know that. I guess the first most, I mean not first, but the most important topic that people are going to ask about is the memory leak problem that 
GNOME had, and is it fixed? And the answer to that is yes, it is fixed in GNOME 3.28. However, there's some, like, some pieces of it are available in Ubuntu and some are not. There will be some backports into Ubuntu for the fixes, but the, the issue is mainly that it was solved so quickly to the Ubuntu release that it wasn't available. But So like a lot of it is fixed in Ubuntu, but not all of it. It's not as severe as it you know might have been for other like previously. And they've also had some updates to the server, the Ubuntu server. There's it's like a nicer installer. So probably one of the coolest things I like about the release of Ubuntu 18.04 is the support for Canonical's live patch structure so you can have kernel updates without having to reboot. That is really cool. You might have heard of the new theme that's coming for Ubuntu 18.04. Unfortunately, it's not available by default. However, you can install it as a snap so you can get the new community theme or the commuter theme. It's uh, pretty easy to install. It's just snap install. This is a really nice looking theme. It basically modernizes the existing ambience theme. It's always nice to see that kind of thing. And finally, just for a little bit of fun, the Bionic Beaver t-shirt is available for sale. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can find a link for the, in the show notes. Speaking of t-shirts, this episode is brought to you by a shameless plug for the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt that I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. It's a shirt that implies that, you know, maybe you don't even know if Linux is there, but it probably is. If you'd like to get the t-shirt, it's available at tuxdigital.com slash Linux is everywhere. There's a, there's a campaign for the U.S. fulfillment, so you can get it shipped from the U.S. or shipped from the EU if you live in Europe. The Linux is everywhere t-shirt. Next up in the show is Kubuntu 18.04 LTS. It was also released. There's going to be a, quite a few of these. So this is the probably the one of the best releases for Kubuntu. There's so many things that have been changed in it. The out-of-the-box experience for Plasma has improved drastically. So they've this one has... What, what's really cool about this one is that it's like a triple-play LTS. So Kubuntu 18.04 is based on the Ubuntu LTS. It also is based on Plasma LTS and has the cute application toolkit LTS version of 5.9. So everything lined up perfectly to make a great release. One of the coolest things about the newest version of Kubuntu is that it's going to have a it has a modified experience as far as like the look of Plasma. So Plasma itself is using a, a dark theme, the the Plasma panels and the menus and the context, and then the applications will be using a light theme for the Windows. So it's a nice like a hybrid approach to the the breeze dark and breeze light theming. I did have some to do with that change, so, uh, and it was a few other ones as well. So it's, uh, it, I'm a little bit biased in saying that it's one of the best uh, its releases they've had, but I do, I do believe that. So if you're if you're interested in checking out, there's a link in the show notes. And I, I plan on doing some more videos on all of the different flavors, as far as like reviews and like breakthrough in depth breakthroughs, breakthroughs, breakdowns is what I meant to say. <laughs> And uh, so that, that's, that's, those are coming. But if you'd also like to see more about this particular release, uh, I made a, the release video for the, the pro official project video for Kubuntu 18.04 LTS. So if you'd like to check that out, you can find that in the show notes as well, or on the Tux Digital channel. Up next in the show is Ubuntu Mate 18.04 LTS. So a, there's a little bit of overlap as far as Kubuntu and, and Ubuntu Mate are concerned. So for example, I forgot to mention that Kubuntu is usually utilizing the minimal install uh, approach, as well as Ubuntu Mate has, has decided to adopt the minimal install, which allows you to have like the desktop environment, 
Core Utilities, and basically Firefox. And then the, and everything else you get to choose yourself. So that's really cool to see that the distros are, the flavors are adding that feature from the mainline Ubuntu. Also with Ubuntu Mate is the update to Mate Desktop 1.20.1, which adds a lot of enhancements like high DPI support for like dynamic detection for scaling, which is really cool. It adds Marco compositing with uh, hardware acceleration. So that's awesome. And it also adds some nice things for Marco, like uh, the tiling, uh, improved tiling ability. So you can have like quadrant tiling now. Probably the most noticeable thing is the new default layout for Ubuntu Mate 1804 called Familiar. And that's it's essentially the same as the traditional thing, the traditional layout, but they're changing the application system places. They're removing that and putting the brisk menu instead, which is a nice compromise for modern and traditional. I would prefer them to go a little more modern so that you know it's it looks like maybe the Pantheon or the uh, Cupertino or something like that that's more modern. That'd be nicer, but you know it, it makes sense. There's it's a good compromise. They've added a lot of cool things to this release, including a global menu that has a lot of great support. The fact that it has support for the Qt toolkit as well as GTK and a lot of other things that I would I was kind of surprised that they got that with like for example Electron, really cool. The fact that that Ubuntu Mate goes so far to support so many different things when they add features is really nice. So they added the heads-up display, similar to how Unity has it. So that's that's awesome because that not only did they do that, they've added support for client-side decorations in the in the HUD. They've added support for the Qt uh, applications, and they've done something really interesting. Instead of having the like the way Unity does it, where they have the HUD in a single location at all times, they've now it just it loads in the application window that you're using. So it's like locally integrated HUDs. They've also added a new update to the Brisk menu for their Mutiny layout, which is like the Unity layout, and that's having a full-screen dashboard-style menu. That is a nice, nice thing to see. And overall, there's there's just so much to talk about Ubuntu Mate that I'm gonna have to just you know end it there, except for like one more. But I will be doing a video about Ubuntu Mate specifically because you know it deserves its own video. I do want to talk about this one feature: the way they're doing the telemetry. Or the or the the data collection is probably the best way that they could do it. Instead of having a checkbox that's like checked or not, asks you whether you want to send it or not, and you can choose to send it or not send. It. So that that's a nice approach to doing it. I'm okay. I'm still okay with the checkbox, but I, I think this is probably the best way to do it in any anyway. So if you would like to send uh, telemetry data to Ubuntu Mate, that would definitely help them as far as like figuring out like what, what people what hardware people are using and things like that so they can you know better improve ubuntu mate in the future as well as you know if you're using ubuntu consider doing that as well next up in the show is zubuntu 1804 lts yep still going some people think that zubuntu is not going to have a lot of updates because it's the it's based on xfce and xfce is still in development for their next release however there's actually quite a lot of things being done so they removed the theme configuration tool for GTK, um, and they're they're working on some, on a replacement. They've re they've updated the Graybird theme, their GTK theme, and it includes support for high DPI. So that's nice. They've also re have replaced the sound indicator with a new 
XFCE Pulse Audio plugin. So you can have a lot more control as far as the volume. As You can actually increase the volume to over 100% if you need to. Then they've added the ability to like middle click that, that icon indicator to mute and unmute it really quickly. So that's nice. And they've actually decided to remove some pieces of the, the GNOME stack and replace it with a Mate stack. So for example, they replaced events with Atrial. I think that's what it's, I don't know. They've also replaced the archive manager file roller with ngrampa. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but it's fun if it is. They've also replaced the GNOME calculator with the Mate calculator. They've also decided to make some modifications to the LightDM Light GTK greeter, so to improve accessibility and some login auto login features. So there's been quite a lot of things changing for Zubuntu, even though the latest version of, Z of XFCE is not out yet. There, you know, the Ubuntu team is still, you know, making a lot of a lot of nice changes. So, and uh, if you're interested, check out this link in the show notes. Up next is Ubuntu Budgie, and Ubuntu Budgie added support for OpenVNC connections via the Network Manager applet, so you can have remote desktop stuff. That's pretty nice. They've added a lot of new Budgie applets. This is a common thing that Budgie does is it makes these really cool like custom applet approaches. So they've added a custom hot hot corners, a window previews, some weather applets and a lot more things is is pretty cool. They've updated the GNOME stack to 3.28 and they've also made it more compatible with if you're going to if if with KDE Plasma. So if you wanted if you were using Ubuntu Budgie by default and you'd like to try out Plasma, they've said that if you install it after already having Budgie, there won't be any any interference as far as like the packages and stuff like that. So that is really nice to see. Ubuntu Budgie 18.04 LTS. And finally, in the Ubuntu 18.04 related news, we're going to talk about last two things, Lubuntu and Ubuntu Studio. First up, Lubuntu has a nice redesigned artwork for the Lubuntu 18.04 release. That's pretty much what's been done in Lubuntu LXDE version. However, Lubuntu Next has had a lot of work for the LXQt support. So LXQt is coming pretty soon. We haven't really got a confirmation exactly when it's coming, but Lubuntu Next is available right now. So if you want to try it out, you can download that ISO and play with the LXQt version of Lubuntu. The LXDE version is a long-term support release. However, the, L the Lubuntu Next LXQt is not a long-term support. So the LXQt desktop environment is really cool, has a ton of potentials, and if you're wanting to check it out, just check out Lubuntu Next, lubuntu.me, and a link to that in the show notes. And finally in the Ubuntu news is Ubuntu Studio 1804 is not an LTS. So Ubuntu Studio is the, it's like an audio video appliance type distro, so it has all these nice like built-in things like FFmpeg, Jack is something that's probably the most annoying thing to install it's so so powerful but also kind of convoluted a little bit so if you wanted to have that done for you ubuntu studio is a good option for that so it's it also it's based on xfce so it's kind of like zubuntu with modifications for that approach it's not actually based on zubuntu just to be clear but it is but it is using xfce as well so the 1804 release is not an lts so it's only going to have the nine-month support cycle that the typical releases have. However, the they have announced that there's going to have a big rewrite and rebuilding, or rebooting, I guess, of Ubuntu Studio for the 18.10 release. So that is something to look out for. But if you'd like to try out the 18.04 release, that link for that is in the show notes. The Ubuntu member community developer 
Simon Quigley, who's also a friend of the show, he submitted a proposal to the Ubuntu developers to reevaluate the way they do Ubuntu releases as far as the the alpha and betas go. The way it works is Ubuntu would release a beta only, so they'd have a beta release and then a final release, whereas the flavors would have alpha 1, alpha 2, beta 1, and beta 2, and Ubuntu only participated in the beta 2. So instead, this approach would be to change that so that they all participate in the same way. So they would all only do the one beta, and the rest of the time, they'll do a like a more of a testing week together. So Ubuntu Mate, Kubuntu, Ubuntu Budgie, all of them have essentially agreed to, to do this switch. So they will all start doing like testing pushes periodically throughout the development cycle. So they will all work together to get the testing done. And it, what it also means is that there are some things that the Ubuntu infrastructure uh, provides that wasn't being used by the flavors because of the way the alphas and betas were structured. But because they're doing it more in line to the way Ubuntu's doing it, they would now be able to use that infrastructure. So that could make it a lot easier for like the ISO testing and stuff like that for the different flavors, making it more possible for them to have like an easier cycle so that they can spend more time on making the flavors better than rather than just testing, starting with the 1810 releases. That is fantastic, and I... I can't wait to see what happens with the, you know, improving overall. Because there's so there's le- there's going to be less to do, there can be more done on the flavors in the future, which is always a good thing. So, I'm looking forward to that. Up next in the show and the first non-Ubuntu topic is the latest release of the GNU Image Manipulation Program or GIMP 2.10. And this is a massive release because it's the first one, this is the first stable full stable release that has been done in many years. I think it's about six years. There's like so many things to talk about as far as this particular release. So let's just let's just jump into it. So first up is by default they've changed it to the single window mode interface. So instead of having a bunch of different palettes and toolboxes and things everywhere in different windows, it's all combined into one window now. And that took way too long to happen, but it's nice to see that it happened. The single window mode is my preference of way of using the the GIMP program. So that's nice. They've also added it so there's a new theme so that GIMP looks better, even though it's still using GTK2 as the toolkit, but it looks much cleaner and more modern, so that's very good. And they've added a lot of like back-end core functionality improvements, so they've added multi-threading, high bit depth, so you, instead of just using 8-bit, you can now use 16-bit and 32-bit. Now, they've also done something by transitioning all the image processing to the new Gaggle, I think it's Gaggle library. That also adds for hardware acceleration as well. So a lot of the different filters that are being are, are applied in GIMP are now using the Gaggle library, which makes it possible for them to also have on-canvas previewing. So previously, it used to have it where when you made changes, the changes would have to would would not be applied while you're changing like sliders and stuff. Once you click OK, then it would show you the change. So that was kind of slows you down because you have to change it, check it, change it, check it. Now it's all on canvas previewing so as you change it in the sliders it will update automatically and it doesn't actually save until you click OK. And they've also added some improvements for digital painting so you can like move the like flip the canvas sideways or whatever as you're drawing on it without having to actually change the canvas itself. It's just like a in display change. If that wasn't enough they've also added a lot of different format supports so they've added a support for WebP which is a um, very popular format for stickers. 
not totally sure why that's true, but that is the case. And they've also added a support for Open, EXR, and many others. And finally, the last thing to talk about is the support for high DPI. They've added, it's not fully implemented, but they've added some basic support for high DPI. So it's really nice to see so much going into the GIMP pro uh, program. And the, the more important thing is really surprising and very impressive is that GIMP only really has six people on the team, and they've made such a really good program with that few people. If you're interested in helping out GIMP and you would like to be the seventh person to support uh, GIMP, uh, feel free to check out the GIMP.org website. And uh, if you haven't tried GIMP in a very long time, this latest version is a very nice version. They've added a lot of cool things I like about it. So it's, it's definitely worth trying. You can check it out in the show notes or just go to GIMP.org. Up next in the show is FFmpeg 4.0. Woo? I think, I think it's woo. FFmpeg is the open source multimedia framework that is probably the most important thing about multimedia production, uh, both actually usage really too. FFmpeg is, is incredibly important. It's, it's used in media players, media encoders, uh, video editors. It is probably the most important thing as far as multimedia goes in Linux. So it is always really cool to see the newest releases and what they've, what they've added. So they've added a quite a few things. I'm not going to be able to address everything, but they've added a ton of really cool things. Like they've added the uh, accelerated overlay filters for Intel QSV, the over uh, the OpenCL overlay filter as well, and a lot of other cool v filters like the VA API. One of the biggest things they've added is support for NVIDIA's NVDEC decoding drivers. It's basically like a, it's a G GPU based decoding, which supports H.264, MPEG, HVEC, HEVC, these these uh, initialisms, there's a lot of them, VC1, VP8, and VP9, and some others as well. So it's really nice to see GPU-based decoding because it makes it the performance ridiculously better. They've also made it so that NVENC, or NVIDIA encoding, is now provided by default that has actually improved support, which makes the streaming game capture and stuff like that with uh, with FFmpeg and things like OBS much better, more smooth. So that is very important, and I'm probably going to utilize the latest version of FFmpeg to do some gaming streaming or something. We'll see, but definitely something. Anyway, FFmpeg 4.0. Menu Libre 2.2 was released. It's a new version that's going to improve the ability to use a lot of different desktop environments, so that's nice. So if you haven't heard of Menu Libre, Menu Libre is a menu editor. So you can, let's say, for example, you have your like any custom menus or applets or whatever. They all use a, or typically, they all use a universal structure of how they display the applications in your menu. So they use these things called .desktop files. And each application has its own .desktop file. And a menu editor allows you to edit, e easily edit those .desktop files, making it possible to modify the categories, the locations where the apps are displayed, uh, the sorting of them, changing the icons, all kinds of things. And Menu Libre is probably one of the best things to use for editing those at those files. Uh, the the only other competitor would be KMenu Edit for KDE Plasma. But what's really cool about this is Menu Libre latest version has support for KDE Plasma and LXQt. 
So it's definitely only GTK-based menu editor that has support for Qt-based applications or Qt-based desktop environments. They, they, they work with the applications in the other environments, but as far as the environments like Plasma or LXQt, it's the only one that I know of that works with those. And Menu Libre has a lot of cool features. I actually did a video about Menu Libre on the channel. I'll have that linked in the show notes and in the cards. So if you want to check that out, feel free. It goes very much in depth about all the different features of the application. But just to say that the new things that are happening with Menu Libre is really cool because they've added the support for one, the version 1.1 of the desktop entry spec, which is the universal thing I was talking about. And they've added support for using client-side decorations for desktop environments that utilize that heavily, like Budgie, Gnome, Pantheon, things like that. And they've added a lot of abilities to have better sorting. And if there's a, like a, an error with your desktop entry, it'll like notify you and show you like a dialogue letting you know that there's something wrong. But what I think is one of the coolest things they've added so far is, or in this release, is the ability to have testing of the launcher's edits without having to save it yet. So typically, most of these editors do where you change something, then you have to save it, then you can test it to see if it worked. Whereas now you can just test it without saving it so that if you accidentally mess something up, you weren't, you didn't totally lose the previous version. So very nice to see. Uh, Menu Libre is actually a project from one of the Zubuntu developers, and I think Menu Libre is the menu editor that every GTK desktop environment should be using by default. It is that good. So if you haven't tried it out, uh, check it out. Menu Libre. Uh, actually, I'm not sure if it's Menu Libre or Menu Libre. I could be saying it wrong the entire time. I'll look that up. Anyway, it is definitely worth giving it a try. Up next is NeoFetch 3.4.0. So NeoFetch is a command line system information tool written in Bash. You might have seen these before where you'll see these, the a printout of a system's like details and it gives you like the, the the details about what the hardware is things like that with a nice logo what's what's interesting about neofetch is that it supports a lot of distros that the other options don't necessarily support you might have heard of screenfetch but neofetch has gone way beyond the what screenfetch is doing so you can as you can see here it has support for arch but it also has support for a lot of distros, they just added Pop! OS. Um, they've added support for OpenSUSE Tumbleweed specifically. And you even have access for other distros like KDE Neon, which I'm pretty sure ne uh, ScreenFetch doesn't have support for. What's also cool is not only can you do the ASCII art stuff, you can actually display images as well. It's it's Overall, it's just got a lot of extra cool features. Yeah. It's definitely my favorite. I mean, it's not the best. I don't know. There might be other ones I haven't heard of, but it's definitely my favorite. You should definitely check it out if you haven't, and if you'd like to share, you know, your terminal information like that. NeoFetch is the the, the go-to application for that. Up next in the show is GNU Cache 3.0 was released. Now this is a pretty big release, but there is mostly about a lot of bug fixes and maintenance fixes. But they actually have a lot of really big fixes as well. So they have upgraded GNU Cache to now use GTK3 toolkit, as well as WebKit 2. WebKit to GTK API. This means that they're no longer going to use the WebKit 1 API for the Linux versions of GNU Cache. Interesting enough, they are going to be using the WebKit 1 API for the Windows version, but that's still using GTK 3. It's just WebKit 1 has been deprecated by most of Linux distros, and unfortunately WebKit 2 doesn't support Windows yet, so they, they can't use it. But they've upgraded to GTK 3, and they set 3.14, 
as the minimum version available. Another thing I want to talk about that's actually pretty interesting that I'm glad to see they're doing is they've added a, they built a new CSV importer. So you could always, for a long time, you could export CSV files from GNU Cache. Unfortunately, you couldn't then re-import those back into like a new install. You'd have to take the whole library database. Now you can just take, you can export and now re-import the CSV file from GNU Cache. So that is, that is nice to make it a lot more portable. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, GNU Cache 3.0, check it out in the show notes. Up next in the show is Wireshark 2.6.0. This is a pretty big release. They've added a lot of cool features like more networking support for like Bluetooth mesh, automatic multicast tunneling, and a lot of other things. And they've actually added some other things so for support for HTTP, HTTP request sequences. And you can now use a MaxMind the database files and even Microsoft Network Monitoring capture files. Wireshark is adding a lot of cool features, but one thing that is interesting that I couldn't find the answer for is they've said that the this is the the Wireshark two Wireshark two point six release will be the last version to use the legacy GTK interface. So the next version of three point will not use GTK. However, I couldn't find out what they were going to be using. So I don't know if it's going to be another toolkit or maybe they're talking about the old version of GTK versus like a new version of GTK or a web interface. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. It's really hard to look through their documentation for that kind of information. But if you know the answer to that, please let me know in the comments below. And if you haven't tried Wireshark and you're looking to do some network monitoring, then definitely check that out in the show notes. Netflix announced that their, their container management system, Titus, is now available as an open source platform. Titus is basically the infrastructure of their, their entire container management where they have the scalability. They basically said they're using almost 500,000 containers and about 200,000 clusters every day new clusters every day. That's how many they launch. So it's really nice to see that Netflix is actually open sourcing it so other people can, tr can try it out. Uh, they're, 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 they, did it, they said they did it for partnering with companies to have them work on it and you know improve it from where it is. This is a really cool, and it's, it's very nice to see that Netflix actually open sourcing. I don't think they've ever done that before, other than like working with like the community for different drivers and things like actually open sourcing their infrastructure stuff. Anyway, it's, it's something they use for their, like, the critical, critical aspects of their business. So like the video streaming, the recommendations, machine learning, the big, the big data thing, the encoding, so much of it is powered by t Titus. So the fact that they open sourced it is just awesome. So good job, Netflix, and welcome to the open source community. Up next in the show is a distro release for the Triskel GNU slash Linux operating system. Triskel 8.0 was released recently, and this is kind of an interesting situation because while it is a long-term support, it will have released support for up to 2021, so it's going to have a three-year support. It's actually not based on Ubuntu 18.04 like you might expect it because it was you know when it was released so soon or so close around that time. Triskel 8.0 is actually is actually support is based on Ubuntu 16.04. So the available packages in the repository are fairly old. For example, Mate Desktop is being used instead of the GNOME Desktop that they used to use, but that one is using 1.12 instead of the current 1.20, and the Linux kernel is version 4.4. But they did announce that Triskel 9.0 is currently under development 
and they do expect to have it maybe this year, maybe next year. So it's not going to be as out of date. So it's it's an unfortunate situation that Triscoll is so out of date on the day it released, but uh, you're not really using Triscoll for that reason. You're using it for the whole free software aspect of it. If you're not familiar with it, Triscoll is a 100% free software only distribution. It is technically possible to add proprietary software if you want to, but by default, it's meant to be a FSF-approved free software distribution. So if you're interested in that, this is a nice update from the previous version. So Triscoll 8.0. Clonezilla 2.5.5 was released recently, and it has a lot of cool features. If you haven't heard of it, Clonezilla is a distribution that allows you to make a clone copy of your entire disk so that you can use it as a backup for later. So you can back up your entire disk, store it somewhere, and then put it back in if you need to. That way you wouldn't lose your entire system. Clonezilla, if you haven't heard of it and you haven't tried it, definitely worth checking out. But they've added some nice features, and one of the coolest things they've added, really awesome feature of being able to do massive deployment mechanism. So they've added the ability to convert the original image, convert it to a special format, that has like a BitTorrent mode so that you can deploy your your cloned images in a massive deployment structure. So you could do a lot more with Clonezilla than just like having a backup copy. You can actually cre use it to create like a massive deployment structure. Very cool to see. Can't wait to try it out. So Clonezilla 2.5.5. Up next in the show is Microsoft has announced that they are going to be doing their own operating system that is powered by Linux. And it's going to be a custom kernel. The distribution is called Azure Sphere. It's going to be a microcontroller unit. So it's going to be like an, an Internet of Things type operating system for edge cases to utilize cloud infrastructure and stuff like that. So like it'll be using the, the Azure cloud infrastructure on an Internet of Things approach, so that kind of thing. So it's got like, and it's actually like a full solution. So it's going to have operating system, the cloud infrastructure, and hardware all together. So you could purchase this particular device and have that all. So you know, there's that. And um, I'm trying my hardest to care. I do not. So you could, I guess we could talk about which one is better, like good or not, to have them doing it. And it's probably like a bit of both. Like pretty much what every everything that Microsoft does is, is a bit of both as far as Linux related, so that they, they contribute to the Linux kernel, and that's good good and bad, I, I suppose. Anyway, Microsoft has put Windows on the back burner and has put Linux to the forefront, so that's a good sign that Linux is better. In mobile news, Purism and UbiPorts have announced their official collaboration to offer Ubuntu Touch on the Librem 5. This is a mock-up of what it's going to look like. So it's going to have a Ubuntu Touch built into the Librem 5. And the Librem 5 is looking better and better, like more and more they, they announce things. They're doing so much that I am so excited for this to come out. Again, we're going to wait, have to wait till early 2019. But it seems to be rolling fairly well. I will definitely be looking at the Librem 5 as a future device. I, I used to care more about my smartphones. I stopped caring so much. But Librem 5 has actually you know, piqued my interest some more. So I look forward to that. Especially the Ubuntu Touch support and the Plasma Mobile support. Up next in the show is Ubuntu 18.04 on the Nintendo Switch. This is awesome. So a developer somehow got the uh, latest release of the Ubuntu 18.04 to work on the Nintendo Switch. Definitely using the, we talked about previously, the Nintendo Switch being hacked to run Linux. And this one is very, very well-timed. So uh, the 18.04 on the Nintendo Switch has been demonstrated on a forum. 
and I'll have a link in the show notes to that forum and the, the post about it. There is also a GitHub that shows you how to kind of sort of how it works. They try it out if you have one. Uh, just so you know, it is very much in the development stage. It, it doesn't have support for Wi-Fi, for example, although it does have support for other things that it wouldn't expect it to. It's not really ready to go yet, but the, the fact that it's even at this point already is really cool. So I actually might want to get a Switch if I could use full Linux on it because like, that would provide so much cool portability and stuff like that as far as a, as a device goes. Anyway, I'm going to keep looking at that, so if you would like to keep up to date, definitely subscribe to the channel. So anyway, Ubuntu 18.04 on the Nintendo Switch. I love this type of thing. Really cool to see the customizations of these different hardware devices. Link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, I just launched a new website where you can contribute in a variety of ways, including PayPal, Patreon, DonorBox, or even affiliate linking. You can do that by going to touchdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to touchdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, touchdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere dash EU. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.